How's the rod going? Oh, long since over. I control the prison now. Real. And uh, where is Miss Grant to be found? Reclining in one of our best cells. Is she indeed? Well, let me tell you this, that if you've harmed so much as one hair of her head, I'll... You'll do nothing, or I'll put a bullet through both your hearts. Why the delay? I take it I'm to be killed eventually? Oh, eventually, yes. But unfortunately, I find I need your help. And thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today we are discussing the mind of evil. Yes, the mind of evil was written by Don Houghton, directed by Timothy Comby, produced by Barry Letts, and aired January 30th. 1971 to March 6th, March 6th, 1971. Don Houghton, relatively recent. His only script under his belt so far has been Inferno. So at least he's familiar with this doctor. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. Inferno was probably the worst story so far. Let me go ahead and verify something real quick. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yes, can confirm Inferno is the worst so far. But, like, it was the worst for the third Doctor. Third Doctor hasn't had, like, a a full-on miss yet, as far as I'm concerned. It hasn't been, like, a full-on disastrous episode yet. Grant, we were saying that early on with the second Doctor, too. (laughs) Yes, yes, we were. I'm just hoping that he'll explain his monsters this time. Still have no idea what the fuck the us was up with those green werewolves. I remember how just, like, utterly not fucking relevant they were to the plot. Did I warn you about the theme of this season? No. Okay, so this this season's a little weird. And I'm assuming it's because of the, the budget cuts. The only reason I'm telling you this is because, for your sake, I want you to be as accurate as possible in your uh, in your predictions. The Master is at least one of the primary villains in every single episode in this season. (laughs) That's not to say that he's the only villain in the stories that he's in. However, (laughs) he is involved. (laughs) In every episode? Yeah, in every story of this season specifically, the Master is involved. Okay. I just wanted to warn you ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well, thanks for the heads up. And on that note, with that in mind, given everything you know about Doctor Who, and given the title of this episode, The Mind of Evil, what do you think this episode's going to be about? There's a terrible, tragic, violent car crash involving the Master and Joe, and they can't save Joe's mind, and they can't save the Master's body. So they just say, hey, let's put the Master's mind in Joe's body. I find that hilarious. For multiple reasons. One, the idea that like, oh man, we can't save the master. We need to save the master. <laughs> and also the idea that for whatever reason, the master just can't regenerate because of the car crash. 
it was a crazy time car crash. Some time bullshit was involved. It's complicated. This is definitely one of those stories that I do not remember, like, at all. So I'm actually very much looking forward to this. I do remember when I first saw it, for whatever reason, they didn't have the colored version available. Like, the colored version was lost, but it was still available in black and white. I don't know how that works. Uh, But then in more recent years, I think in, like, 2018, they remastered it and colorized it. So it's a distinct possibility that this one might look a little off compared to the others. Okay. (laughs) Just heads up. But I'm pretty sure the one in BritBox is in color, so that's something. It is also a six-parter. God damn it. Mac. What? Oh, wait. No, no. You said said (laughs) six-parters. Get off my fucking back, Caleb. (laughs) I was was prepared to yell at you about a seven-parter again. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) On that note... We'll see you all in the future. Let's get going. <sighs> Most in- indignant <laughs> I thought it matched your indignant tone going out. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was a week for us. Quick turnaround, considering the last episode. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Well, look, I always love it when we have guests. You know I love it when we have guests. It makes scheduling a bitch. (laughs) A total bitch. Mostly because I'm already a pain in the ass to schedule with. It's hard enough with just the two of us. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, not not too shabby with a with a week and a six parter. You'll, you'll be relieved to know that the next one's a four parter. Oh, thank God! Before we really start, what'd you what'd you think of the mind of evil? I thought it was pretty good. I didn't like it quite as much as Terror of the Autons, but I think I liked it more than several other episodes. So okay, that's good. Uh, I meanwhile have it at the as my second least favorite only being beaten out by inferno and i suspect by the end of this discussion it might actually end up being my least favorite <laughs> okay hang on there is no fucking way you you like this episode less than you liked inferno i don't i, I don't know we'll we'll see, we'll see at the at the moment at this current moment in time it is higher than inferno but it is interesting that um what was the writer's name? Don Houghton has only written two episodes of Doctor Who, and both of them are currently at the bottom of my list for the third Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like this episode is not without problems, but I think this episode is infinitely more fun to watch than Inferno. I'll give you that. And I think it's more fun to watch than the... Well, it's definitely more fun to watch than the Silurians. I will not give you that. The more I think about it, the more I really d- did not actually like the Silurians all that much. <laughs> And this is all in the context that I think um, I think Pertwee is my favorite Doctor so far. In terms of sheer pacing, he's the most consistent. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Is that a fair thing to say? Do you do you mean like in terms of pacing, like all of his episodes have had yeah, better pacing? I would say, rather than like me being like, yeah, the episode as a whole kind of worked out. I would say 
yeah, each episode consistently more or less has the same pace. And there aren't, like, good parts of it. And then 20 minutes later in a different episode, there's another good part. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I, I think there's they're starting to get a little bit better at how to pace an episode. They're definitely getting better at the fucking cliffhangers, let me tell you. Yeah, much better at cliffhangers. <laughs> much better at just editing overall. Let's go back, you and I, to an unearthly child. Oh, God, please no. <laughs> or even to... The Daleks. And just, man, Dead Air was the name of the game with those ones. Man, look at how far we've come. We have most definitely come very far. I am interested, now that I know that you really liked this episode and that I didn't, uh, I am actually very interested to to talk about this. So let's go ahead and get started. Yeah, let's get into it. Episode 1. Joe and the doctor visit Strangmore Prison, where Professor Kettering shows off a new contraption called the Keller Machine, which was invented by someone named Emil Keller, as the professor reminds you, multiple times. The doctor is unimpressed by the machine and how it seemingly sucks the evil impulses out of people. Meanwhile, Leatherstrips has his own problems as a peace negotiation between the World Peace Conference and the Chinese delegation erodes. Things get worse when Captain Chin Lee reports the Chinese delegate is dead. Someone ends up dead at the prison, but the means of his death make little sense. The doctor is suspicious of the machine, but Kettering is dismissive. While he investigates the machine, though, it activates and sends him into a frightful panic. There were there were a couple moments in this episode that, that not this episode, but this story that made me laugh. And one of the first came very early on when the doctor and Joe uh, roll up to the prison and uh, the guard asks for the doctor's pass and doctor hands over his pass and it's like very closely scrutinized he's like comparing the picture with the doctor's face uh and then he hands hands it back and then joe just kind of like holds hers up casually in the car like a couple feet back and then the guard waves him in (laughs) (laughs) joe doesn't need to be scrutinized (laughs) fun thing about this like i started watching this episode i was laying in bed watch out my ipad I kind of just kind of leaned over and saw the doctor in his very red fucking magician's cloak. And Mm -hmm. she was like, what the fuck is he wearing? Whatever he damn well wants, Kylie. (laughs) To which I responded, it's Doctor Who, Kylie. The outfits don't make sense. This is one of the more tame outfits. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but I liked that opening moment. I also like, uh, or before we get to that, once you get into Streamlord Prison, like, all the prisoners are, like, riled up and they're, like, yelling at bars and, like, banging on them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just total cacophony. And this was clearly before sound mixing was <laughs> thought of because, holy shit, this scene is loud. Thank the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost for subtitles because I would not have been able to tell what the fuck was being said. <laughs> My God, you couldn't. You literally just hear the crowd and, like, they're, like, shouting over it. It was a mess. Speaking of those prisoners, though, maybe this is a British thing. Maybe it's a British thing in the 1970s. I don't know. Is it normal for prisoners to be wearing neckties? Because all of the prisoners were wearing ties. It's a very dapper prison, you know? This is an upscale place. I'm like, what the... That is just waiting for someone to just, like, garrot someone with. I don't know what the (laughs) fuck. Or someone to hang themselves with. Like, you do not trust prisoners with neckties. That's the the British uh, Reformation system. Uh, We're going to teach these hooligans to be gentlemen. (laughs) 
So they get in and like they're gonna watch this demonstration on the Keller machine, and the whole time this guy's presenting the machine, the doctor's just kind of shit talking it. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the guy's like, "Do you have something to say?" And he's like, "Oh no, go ahead, you're fine." And then the moment he turns away, the doctor turns back to Joe and continues shit talking it. He's just there with popcorn and just like throwing it and going, "Boo, you suck." Frankly, the doctor is right too because the scientist is really good at just not clarifying what exactly it does because the scientists like yes all the evil impulses will be taken from the brain and then they will be put in this tiny little box and the doctor's like okay but where does it go from there it's gone okay but where is it gone to in this tiny little box okay but what happens to the box i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) and i was i was waiting i mean Kind of, sort of, it kind of went this way, but not really. I was waiting for the master to, like, steal it. It's like, I have a box that is literally nothing but uh, all of the dark impulses of humanity. Oops, I smashed it on the floor. (laughs) It's not quite what happens. It's not quite what happens, but... But the master is involved, and he does have something to do with the box. (laughs) And and then, um, I forget how he's brought up, but, uh... The brigadier is brought up, and uh, Joe says that he'll not be he won't be able to help because he's too busy coordinating the peace conference. And the doctor is like the what? And Joe's like you know the peace conference, and like goes into detail about the peace conference. And ordinarily, in any other circumstances, I would consider that super sloppy exposition. If I didn't one hundred percent buy that the doctor would just ignore the brigadier while he was being told about it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, something I was thinking today as I was getting ready for this. Uh, I don't like the brigadier, but mm-hmm. I do love the doctor and the brigadier's relationship. <laughs> yeah, they they make a good comedic duo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good. God, the doctor just shits on him the whole time, and. It helps that the Brigadier is the mother of all straight men. Like, in Mm -hmm. terms of comedic duos, like, he is the definition of a British military man. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of the Brigadier, after the scene, there's a hard cut to him as he talks to Chin Li, who works for the Chinese delegate. And she basically says something along the lines of, like, the Americans are ruining everything. And he's like, typical Americans. I was like... Yeah, that does sound like something we would do. <laughs> I'm not sure if he was like, yeah, that sounds like something America would do. Or if he was like, yeah, that sounds like something uh, the Chinese delegation would do. Blame the Americans. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I gotta understand that context. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the context of British people hate Americans more than they hate. And Chin Li is like accusing the Americans of stealing these very important documents from the, uh, from the Chinese embassy. And my note was, I agree with Captain Shin Lee. The Americans are probably behind the theft. And then the very next scene is her going outside, taking the documents out from her jacket and burning them. And I was, and I'm like, I know I am currently watching her burn the documents. I still think the Americans did it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, maybe I was just stupid because I thought she was like burning her instructions to create a feud between the Americans and the. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was the documents. I mean, that would make more sense, because I, I was watching, I'd be like, weren't you burning instructions before you executed them? I mean, I'm no spy or anything. Help me out with the, um... Was it just some random dude who died from the machine first? Yeah, it, 
it wasn't a prisoner. Uh, I just read it on TARDIS Wiki, too. It, it was some guy who worked there. So it was, it was like some guy who worked there. It was somebody who was in the initial audience or something. Yeah, I think they said it was an intern. They say that he died because th- this is probably one of the things that is one of the biggest hangups for me in, on, in terms of Mind of Evil as to what exactly the killer machine does. Like, actually, what does it do? Because I initially thought that it was, like, triggering people's deepest phobias so that they would have, like, a heart attack. But this dude is found with, like, bite and scratch marks on his neck. And then apparently hospitals test for phobias. So in his medical background check, they determined that he had a huge fear of rats. And then something else will happen later that also confuses that for me. Yeah, and like that, I would say this is the weakest part of it. And probably the closest where you can tell this is the guy who wrote Inferno. Yeah. Because it doesn't get explained. It does not get explained. And not only does that not become explained, it stops becoming relevant. (laughs) There's a certain part in the episode where they're like, we're done talking about the fear machine. Let's talk about the fucking missile crisis we're trying to create. Yeah, that's another problem I have with this story overall. It feels like it has a lot of moving parts, and then instead of really having them feel like they're culminating in something, they just kind of drop some subplots. Which is, you know, all the problems Inferno had. Yeah. Uh, This one just gets the benefit of being more schlocky and fun than Inferno. True. Kettering, up until this point, had been... Like, the typical proud scientist character and was shutting the doctor down every time the doctor told them what to do because the doctor's always right. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Here is the stubborn guy in charge who is going to be irrational and prideful and is going to be basically the actual antagonist of this story. Uh, then he dies, and I yeah, was like, then... hooray! <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets fucking offed. But that brings up another thing, because he dies from the machine, and he was found with water in his lungs. Yeah, he appeared to have drowned. <laughs> and I'm like, physically how, though? Because again, I was under the impression that the machine triggers the fears... But this dude was found with water in his lungs. So does the machine, like, make the phobias actually real? Because the first guy had bite marks on his neck, but his cause of death was heart failure. So I thought maybe he was just, like, scratching at his neck and it just, like, seemed like it. I don't know. I'm very confused. And pretty soon, that's just all going to be completely dropped and the machine just kills people. Yeah. So... (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I would say it must, it must have some sort of, like, physical manifestation element, because there's a moment in episode, like, three, um, or towards the end of episode two, that makes it seem like it makes things come to life, but yeah, but, I don't, spoilers, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't know, it's very confusing. Yeah, I don't know, it is, it's very confusing. But then the doctor puts forward the idea that it was the killer machine that killed, uh, Kettering. And uh, the governor who is at the prison just, like, dismisses the idea that this machine could kill anyone because, and I quote, it's just a machine. And I'm like, 
This steamroller has just flattened and killed a man. Oh, come now, doctor. It's only a machine. Like, <laughs> what is your logic here exactly? <laughs> Machines kill people all the time. And then the governor is telling the doctor more about how Professor Keller came in and uh, installed the machine. And the doctor asked if he had any sort of assistant. Governor says, yes, a rather attractive Chinese girl. And I said, a rather attractive Chinese girl? But there's only one of those in the entire world! It must have been Captain Chin Li! (laughs) (laughs) Because it immediately cuts to her. And I'm like, there can't be only the one attractive Chinese girl in all of London. Come on, people! (laughs) And in British TV land, there is! I guess so! (laughs) Hey, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. At least this woman is of asian descent oh actually that is something in trivia that i'll go ahead and say now because i think everyone was expecting the opposite um in a very much rarity for the era all of the chinese characters are played by chinese actors oh wow thank god (laughs) this is because the director timothy combi hated yellow face not because it was racist but because it was unrealistic and he thought it might take the audience out of the experience (laughs) Well, we'll we'll take what we can get. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Listen, he's a, he's out of line, but he's right. <laughs> he's a little confused, but he's got the spirit. <laughs> I got nothing else for this episode. I will point out that the that the killer machine activates again, and apparently the doctor's greatest fear is fire. And I just wrote down that he's remembering Rome. <laughs> <laughs> the guilt after a life and a half has finally caught up to him. <laughs> Your sins will catch up with you, Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, episode two. Joe enters the room and saves the Doctor, who is visibly shaken by the power of the machine. He tells her the machine recognized his fears and used it against him. Joe tells him that Kettering has also died, and the prison's Doctor is confused because it seems that the Professor has drowned. An engineer doing work outside unit headquarters reveals himself to be the Master, and he is wearing a suit and tie under work overalls for some reason. The Doctor and Leather Strips argue about whether the Chinese delegation or the murder machine are more pressing issues, but begrudgingly agree to help each other. Joe returns to the prison and, tell, and talks with Barnum, the test subject for the Keller machine, and he admits to having no memory of the process. The Master meets with Chin Li, who mind controls her again and tells her to kill the American delegate. All hell breaks loose at the prison and Joe is taken hostage, Lee meets with the American delegate in his quarters and moves to attack. He cowers in fear as Chin Lee apparently takes the form of a dragon or something. We'll get to that. Anyway, <laughs> Joe comes in and kind of like snaps the doctor out of his uh, like fear stupor, which like this this again proves that what he's what the machine must be conjuring can't be real. Because otherwise the doctor would be literally on fire, but Joe just kind of like slaps him and he's fine. And so like, what does this machine do? Well, maybe it takes some time to get going. Or maybe because he's a time lord, it takes longer. (laughs) He's a time lord. He can't be caught on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this show has not... The show has taken equally extreme leaps of logic with what Time Lords can and can't handle. I, yeah, okay, that's fair, <laughs> but still, it's confusing to me. TARDIS Wiki says that 
the doctor was reacting because he was remembering a planet being destroyed. So I don't know if that was evil of the Daleks or I don't know. He because he mentions that. He he was saying he was flashing back to a uh time when he saw a planet burning around him. I genuinely don't know if that's something that we would have that we saw or if it was an implied other adventure. Because I'm trying to think of like planets that have destroyed around him, and literally the only thing I can think of is Galaxy Four, and that didn't seem like a particularly harrowing experience for him. Well, didn't, didn't they watch the tenth planet blow up? They did. My new headcanon is actually that the Doctor had some sort of like Dragon Ball Z Frieza arc, which again, I think I said in Galaxy Four, I wish that's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that we had seen more of the planet, like, blowing up. Yeah. But, but yeah, but, so who knows? But then the Doctor, like, gets angry at Joe because he told her to go do something else, uh, and instead she's here. And I'm like, she just saved your life by disobeying orders for the second story in a row. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, this is the arc where I start to like Joe. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a spe- specific moment in the next episode, I think, where I go, oh, that's where Caleb is going to like Joe. <laughs> Probably. I'm not sure when it would be, though. But yes, I do I do like Joe's uh, condescension towards uh, Chain of Command. Yeah, that is that is always appreciated. And how orders are really just kind of suggestions. <laughs> They're more like guidelines than actual <laughs> rules. <laughs> I love that attitude. I do also appreciate how the the doctor tells the governor that he just started experiencing this machine and this machine needs to be destroyed at once. And the governor is like, yes, well, I, I agree, but, uh, you know, it's it's not my authority to be able to do that. You know, there are, I have to fill out these forms so that we can assemble a committee so that we can... I was like, fucking, fucking bureaucracy is always the... It's the... Is, <laughs> more of a recurring villain than the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a more recurring villain than the Daleks and the Cybermen combined. Every goddamn episode we got to do paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they they are suspecting Captain Chin Lee of some sort of sabotage or something. Something. So they have Benton tracking her. Okay, so she is for lack of a better word, a thrall of the master right now. And she also seems to have some sort of connection to that Keller machine. And I guess this allows her to just kind of activate the Keller machine at will and then start to affect Benton, who collapses, even though both of them are several miles away from the prison. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but she seemed to just kind of like squint at him. You it like cut between her and the machine and you hear the machine whirring and then the and Benton like clutches at his head and then collapses. And I'm like is she Jean Grey from the X-Men? What exactly did she just do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have it. I don't have any explanation this time. They they needed an excuse for Benton to lose her. And so I think they just kind of threw that in there. But it does kind of come up later. I don't know. It's weird. And then a big peace conference is happening. Delegates from 
all over the world are, is ha- is coming together here in London, and it's very high security. A lot of world leaders are all going to be in one place. It's it's a very tense situation, and yet no one on the security team is checking out that big weird ass candy striped tent just chilling in the middle of the road right outside of the courthouse that the master is hiding out in and has all of his disguises that he changes into known terrorist the master (laughs) is just hanging out right outside in a huge come investigate this tent I think all of Unit is super incompetent, and I fear for our lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mac, we established that several episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, very true. Isn't the acronym like something like, it's like the United Nations Investigative? I think it's, in- I'm pretty sure it's Intelligence Tax Force. Well, it's neither of those things. <laughs> so, <laughs> investigative or intelligent. <laughs> Most of Unit's discoveries are almost always after something has happened to them. Ain't that the truth? Okay, so there is a line in here that actually made me bust out laughing. I love this line. So the new uh, delegate has been appointed for the Chinese embassy. Brigadier says that his name is Fu Peng. And the doctor says, Fu Peng? Oh, he must be Hokkien. And Brigadier says, no, no, he's Chinese. (laughs) 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 It's like, that's... (laughs) That's hilarious. <laughs> that's just that's just good funny racism. <laughs> Do I want to say good job for making a racist joke that made me laugh? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um and then my next note when they go to meet the delegate and then the doctor starts speaking Hokkien and my note is Okay, everyone is waiting with bated breath for this story to get super racist, right? Please tell me it's not just me, because it hasn't really happened yet, but I'm waiting for it. I definitely was. I was definitely sitting there being like, oh man, I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the gong. I'm waiting for every racist stereotype to come out of the book, and I don't feel like it really happened. Shockingly enough, no, I don't think it was. <laughs> we are two of the uh, pastiest white boys you'll ever meet in Indiana, so maybe we're not the best judges, but from what we can tell, didn't seem that bad. Yeah, it, it, it didn't seem too racist. I mean, you know, eventually the show will take a nosedive <laughs> with that good enough gold star, but uh, <laughs> for right now it can it can enjoy having that that star. <laughs> Yes, for now, for now, it gets a badge for not being racist. <laughs> Something that has a mixed track record on, especially considering literally the last episode. <laughs> yeah. And then Chin Lee goes to meet the American delegate and um, turns into a dragon. Uh, I'm calling it a dragon because that's what TARDIS Wiki called it. It very much looks like the dog things out of Ghostbusters. Yeah, so the fact that this this dragon, whatever it is, was originally going to be much more prevalent in the story, but when they made the dragon prop, it was so stupid 
they decided to cut almost all of its scenes. <laughs> oh, no. Because <laughs> they were like, let's focus on this thing as little as possible. Because the the smoke machine and distance are our two best friends here to make it look not as stupid as it does. The crew gave it the name Puff the Magic Dragon because that's what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> and also, side note. Look, I don't want to tell the master how to do his job, but, okay, so you use Chin Li to kill the Chinese delegate. That's fine. But, like, she is being scrutinized right now. Like, eyes are on her. Maybe, just saying, you should find an American soldier to kill the American delegate, because that'll be a little bit less inconspicuous. Just a thought? Is this my note here for you, instead of telling... Here's the problem, Mac. That implies that the master wants to be subtle. True. I'm not sure if you remember the scene earlier in this episode where he removed a latex mask of himself and then took off overalls revealing the three-piece suit he was wearing underneath it. Well, you know, he was in the giant candy-striped tent in the middle of the road. Nobody could see him changing disguises. <laughs> I'm just saying that the master has a, a flair for the dramatic. Ain't that the fucking truth. As we get into when he reveals his brilliant master plan. Which is is such a brilliant master plan. But before we get to that, so is the American delegate afraid of dragons? (laughs) Is that why Chin Li turned into a dragon? Because again, for some reason, she has like this weird connection to the Keller machine and she's able to activate it and... The American delegate is, like, having a heart attack as a result, and she, like, takes the form of a dragon. I interpreted it as he was afraid of the red tide of communism, (laughs) and the killer machine was just like, well, we'll make that a dragon. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) That's, That's way more plausible than any of the other stupid possibilities (laughs) i'll take it (laughs) but that is that is all i've got yep that's all i've got for episode two moving on to episode three the brigadier and the doctor rush in the brigadier shoots the dragon which quickly evaporates and leaves chen Li unconscious on the ground the doctor finds a device behind her ear and believes it is linked to the keller machine benton is trying to move some missiles that have a really nasty nerve agent or something Remember that, it's important later. The hostage situation is becoming desperate, but Joe steals a gun and shoots someone before taking control of the situation. Okay, Joe, I like you. (laughs) The master arrives at the prison, and it's revealed that he is Keller. He meets with Mailer and convinces them he is there to help. He uses smoke grenades to create distraction and and captures Joe as the prisoners escape. The doctor arrives, and the master pulls a gun on him while also asking for help. The Keller machine has developed a mind of its own, and he needs the doctor's help taming it. He also tells the doctor he wants to use the nerve agent missiles to attack the World Peace Conference and plunge the world into war. The doctor makes his way to the Keller machine and uses Lee's amplifier on it, but he cannot get away before it starts probing his mind about Daleks. Something we haven't really touched on. The delegate, Fu Peng, clearly does not like the Brigadier at all. Who would? Who would? He's justified. Um, but then the doctor talks to him and Hokien, and they're like, oh, hey, we can talk back and forth. Um, and he, like, becomes fast friends with the doctor. 
when they first in- introduce themselves to each other, there's subtitles saying what they say. And then for literally no other time anybody is speaking a non-English language, is there subtitles? <laughs> <laughs> ah, you figured it out. I mean, it's basically, it's it's easy to follow. You don't really need to know what they're saying. It, basically, Fu Peng is just talking about how much he fucking hates this military guy. It's just like, oh my god, on and on and on and on, <laughs> kind of. I, w- I was just very confused because, like, they do keep talking in Hokkien without actually giving subtitles but they did in just that once at the beginning either don't do it at the beginning or do it throughout the throughout the episode i just asked for consistency doctor who listen the only thing we want is consistency something this show has been very good at up until this (laughs) point you mentioned malin the guy that the master helps yeah mailer mailer whatever his name mailer mailer yeah he was next in line to be hooked up to the was he next in line to be hooked up to the yeah, well, I, I think that's what it was. Because he's like roommates with Barnum. Is that his name? Barnum. Barnum, the, the the good bad guy. He was a criminal through and through. And then he went through the Keller machine and it took out all of his bad impulses. And it basically, it basically turned him into what seemed to be an autistic child in the body of a grown adult. That's kind of how it felt. Am I wrong in thinking that? No, that's... I'd say that's fairly accurate. That, that's, that seemed like what he was going for. It wasn't like a negative portrayal of autism or anything, but that's the vibe I got. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was offensive. I wasn't entirely sure what they were going for, but I'm, I'm not even sure they <laughs> comprehended autism at the time, but I could see that parallel. They at the very least say that he's basically a child in a man's body, and the way the actor portrayed that, it definitely came across as neurodivergent. But yeah, I just wanted to clarify who uh, Mailer was. Yeah. And that Barnum was how he is, because both of those are going to be pretty prevalent soon. Yep. The rest of the story. So Mailer is like the lead prisoner who leads this riot against the prison Mm -hmm. and works one-on-one with the master. So last episode, they started a riot, uh, which initially I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, riot. (laughs) So they've got Joe captured. I don't remember what's happening, but like, I think they're negotiating with unit or something. And Joe just, like, reaches over and grabs his gun and pulls it out and just shoots him. I know. Like, he... <laughs> One of my notes is fucking hell. Joe, Joe just capped a dude. <laughs> Wasted no time. None of, none of that. I know how to use this sword. Nobody moves. She just pulls it and bam. I was like, yeah. She's secret agent Joe, and I love her. I did make the note of, you know, it's a really good thing this show is rated G. Otherwise, I'd be really worried about Joe being trapped in this prison. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the master's car is uh, being driven to the prison and you like hear this menacing music that's being played. And then the master like turns over to his radio and then presses a button and the ba- music turns off. And it, like it felt like it was non-diegetic background music of just like, ooh, this evil man is so evil and he's going to the prison. But no, it was just he was just listening to it. <laughs> it was his lo-fi vibes to plan and scheme to <laughs> exactly <laughs> you can tell i didn't really have a whole lot to say about this episode specifically because my next note is i like bessie's little honky horn <laughs> <laughs> bessie's little honky horn <laughs> it's just like a little almost like a bicycle horn that just kind of like attached to the side of bessie that he just like reaches over and goes honk honk it's <laughs> i thought it was funny 
Well, there's really not a lot that happens. A lot of this episode is like the prisoners kind of scheming how they're going to get out of there. And then the master scheming with the prisoners. And then the master talking to the doctor. And then the episode is basically over. Speaking speaking of which, Mailer brings the doctor to the main office of the prison. And then the master does like the armchair turnaround. And I was like, he was practicing that shit up until the moment the doctor came into the office. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that was too fast. That was too fast. Well, that was too slow. It felt like that wasn't as, as deliberate. Hold on a second. <laughs> I love this scene because it's, the master reveals himself and he's like, Doctor, you know we're both geniuses, but um, I need your help. Things are a little out of control right now. <laughs> Not that I couldn't. Of course I can. But you know, I'm, I'm a busy man. I'm so, a busy uh... man. I have schemes and I need you to uh, fix this <laughs> sooner rather than later. Yeah, then he straps the doctor into the Keller machine and like a proper Bond villain just kind of leaves him there. <laughs> yeah, classic. And then uh, and then the doctor starts hallucinating and you start hearing um, those classic lines. Mac, do you want to recreate them for me? Uh, or is it just exterminate? Yes. Just there. Yeah. <laughs> the doc- exterm- oh, I thought you were going to be fun about it. Well, I was like... Oh no, is he setting up a goof? Did he not actually say exterminate? Because I vaguely remember at the end of episode three, like they say everything except for exterminate. And I was like, wait, no, what was, I didn't write down the line, Caleb. What what goof are we setting up? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was like that. Annihilate. Uh, That's all I got for this episode though. Yeah, same. All right. Episode four. The amplifier sends the Keller machines waves around the prison and the master struggles to shut it off. He comments that the device nearly killed the doctor and even stopped one of his hearts. He leads the doctor back to a cell with Joe, and he tells her to convince him to help control the device. As all this happens, the brigadier is dealing with the missiles as they have been stolen by the master. The master tries to fiddle with the machine, but is plagued by visions of the doctor taunting him. The doctor and Joe pull a sick man routine to escape and head to the processing room to confront the machine. He describes it as a mind parasite that feeds on human fears and evil impulses. The machine must have learned a thing or two from the Daleks, though, because now it can teleport, and it shoots a prisoner when it suddenly re- reappears in the hallway. The, the way I see it is, like, the, the machine watched all the dog stuff, and then he was like, hey, that's a pretty good idea, and then just did it. I was like, wow, I don't have to use people's fears. I can just make the air all wavy and make a loud noise and kill people. <laughs> Yeah, and the master comments that uh, that the machine was able to stop one of the doctor's hearts, and like to check to make sure that he was like still living, he did the uh, uh, corroded artery kind of thing, like where he puts his fingers on the person's neck. And this is such a fucking nitpick. I know it is, but like, is it is it weird that a an alien with a binary vascular system has a carotid artery in the exact same place as humans? It feels like it should be different. But I don't know how different, so I can't, like, make actual specific notes. It just feels odd to me. <laughs> I've got headcanon that, like, the Time Lords just present as humans. That they're really some, they're probably just some kind of gas beam. <laughs> <laughs> or some other Lovecraftian nightmare. <laughs> that are too far beyond human comfort that just, just present as old men. <laughs> Distinct possibility. Again, I don't want to tell the Master how to do his job, but it really feels like teaching one of the prisoners how to use the machine would be a better plan than trying to get the doctor to do it because like 
You know the doctor is going to do everything he can to stop you. Why would he not? (laughs) What possible incentive does the doctor have to do anything? Yeah. The doctor can't be convinced to help his allies do things. He has tried to leave at every opportunity. (laughs) Which I suppose that this, that makes this an important episode. I think this is the first episode since this doctor began that the doctor did not just straight up try to yeet out of the story halfway through. Yeah. And I will also say that, uh, in the trivia, this is also one of ten episodes in the entire history of the show that doesn't feature the TARDIS at all. Hmm. Yeah. Case in point. Yeah. And again, like, everything's going to shit in terms of, like, the machine going completely out of control and the doctor being uncooperative and the the prisoners getting rest, restless because of the machine. And I think there's a peace conference happening somewhere. I can't quite remember that. I'm like, Master, you know what? This one's a bust. Let's just let's just drop it, head back to the drawing room, and uh, try to destroy the world again tomorrow. You know, it just it's fine. We'll we'll take a brain break. We'll come back fresh. It's fine. <laughs> oh yeah, because I don't, I don't know if we really elaborated. His whole plan is to have the machine so he can steal the missiles, so he can blow up the World Peace Conference and rule the world after everyone has destroyed themselves. I'm a little unclear how the machine actually comes into play in his plan. Why was the machine necessary? Uh. (laughs) Because he has the power to control a person's mind. Why doesn't he just steal the missile and then fire it at the peace conference? Why did he have to create an artificial intelligence that is rapidly gaining more intelligence that he has that can cause people to experience their worst fears. It seems like it's an unnecessary step is all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'm going to assume that the master is playing 4D chess that we just can't see the steps to. Always, always assume (laughs) the master is playing 4D chess. His, His intellect is just so vast we can't possibly hope to comprehend it. it it's so incomprehensible it looks stupid to us <laughs> simpletons yes that's it every single time that's it <laughs> this is probably one of my least favorite episodes of the story just because it focuses on the brigadier a lot and i didn't i don't care about the brigadier yeah uh boy howdy i don't care about the brigadier at all and i think this episode and the next episode could have been one so yeah uh as always the six episode ones are too long and can be four episodes as fucking always yeah i do like that there's a scene where um the master's men you know the prisoners which again like he could have gotten those prisoners as his soldiers without the use of the keller machine but whatever anyway they ambush benton and his um his convoy that's like taking the missiles and they like stop the convoy and like cause the cars to crash and basically kill everyone in the in the squad. But it cuts to Benton real quick and just like shows him like like groaning and like turning. And I'm like, don't worry, everyone. Benton is OK. This whole squad is fucked, though. Didn't stand a chance. Not a single man left standing. Benton is fine, though. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, Benton, Benton's dandy. Who's Benton again? 
You love Benton. Don't you, worry. Yeah, yeah. He's your favorite character. Shut up. <laughs> Getting to the real meat of this, though. A, one, the Doctor Strait plays a sick man routine. Yeah, he does. But does it count as a sick man routine if he actually was sick at the start of it? <laughs> a little tummy ache. <laughs> he, he was actually fatigued from the machine. He actually was sick. He just got better. And then they did the sick man routine. <laughs> I mean, at, le- at least it had some logic to it. At least they were prepared for him to be sick already. Yeah, very true. <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly, towards the end of this episode, I straight up thought it was going to turn into a Dalek episode. When the machine just fades away, I was like, ah, shit, I'm just waiting for the hard title cut, The Gang Invents Daleks. Because <laughs> that's what I thought was going on. I thought, you know, like, whatever this is, it's a thing that absorbs all the evil. And then it saw all the evil the Daleks do in the Doctor's mind. It was like, oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Oh, that sounds way cooler. So, yeah. So, I straight up thought that the Master inadvertently invented Daleks. <laughs> My last note is just, oh, also it can teleport. Did we not mention that? Because it totally can. It can teleport. It can cause people to die from heart attacks and also rat bites. It can cause water to appear in people's lungs. It can just kill people like that when it decides to. And also it can teleport. What can't it do? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, it even kind of looks like a Dalek. It's like a little baby trash can with a light bulb. I would describe it as like, just like a regular box with an upside down blender on top of it. And then a light bulb on top of that blender. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, straight up. I think it looks like a baby Dalek. I was waiting for it to become a Dalek episode. I'm actually disappointed it wasn't. Don't worry, the Daleks will be coming soon. Sort of, kind of, eventually. <laughs> Redacted. Uh, that's all I've got. Yeah, that's all I got. It just comes down and starts blasting. Joe and the Doctor watch the machine disappear again. He muses that it's looking for Mailer, the lead prisoner guy, because he's a real piece of shit. As they roam around, Mailer catches them and puts them back in the cell. The Master comes to negotiate again, only to watch Joe embarrass the Doctor at chess. The Brigadier makes a plan to break into the prison and save his companions. The Master has convinced the Doctor to help him rein in the machine, and together they build a machine that will confuse the device and temporarily stall it. Temporarily stall it. That was hard to say. When Unit invades, Mailer takes the Doctor and Joe hostage, but says he only needs one of them, and seemingly shoots the Doctor. The Keller machine kills a couple of the prisoners, and then the Doctor and Joe see it and come upon it, and then it teleports away. And I'm like, why did you tell... You had them. They were right there. Why did you teleport away? Well, um, I don't remember if it's in this episode or the next episode, but like when Barnum is around, it kind of turns off. Was Barnum around there? I, I don't know if he was around there, but they they say that it's because it already took all the evil out of him. It has no interest in him. So maybe the Joe and Doctor are just good. You know, the Doctor who's committed... Four genocides at this point. I was gonna say, look me in the eye and tell me that. <laughs> Joe, I'll buy. She's capped a bitch, but like she did it because she had to. <laughs> and then at uh, one point, I don't remember when this was. It was pretty early on. The Doctor and Joe and Barnum were somewhere, and the and uh, the Doctor begins to leave, and Joe is like, "But what about Barnum?" And the doctor's like, yes, yes, Barnum, you you come with us. And I'm like, yes, man with amnesia and no way to defend himself. You must come with us. You'll be vital. <laughs> <laughs> You're so important to the story. 
We'll talk about that. <laughs> he's, I mean, he is kind of. Well, yeah. Then my next note is eight minutes in, and it really just feels like people are going back and forth between places without anyone actually doing anything, and like being thrown into prison, and then escaping out of the prison, and then being thrown back into prison, and then escaping from prison. Yep. Again, this episode and the last episode could have been one. So very much so. We established all the way back in season fucking one that five episode arcs work. God damn it. (laughs) Why aren't they listening to us? I don't understand it. (laughs) Doctor Who, you'll never learn. (laughs) Hire me as your script editor 40 years ago. I mean, they will learn. Like, two thirds of the way through Fourth Doctor is when we no longer have six part episodes and it's just four episode long. Oh, good. Only six seasons away, I think. Uh, Give or take. (laughs) You're not too far off, somewhere around there. Oh, I feel pretty good. I was just taking a shot in the dark. It was just from the hip. I do kind of like, I, I appreciate how uh, uh, Roger Delgado plays this, where he just kind of like, in almost all instances, the master is just like, yes, I have everything under control. Everything is going exactly according to plan. Except when it comes to this machine, and he is just, like, completely deferring to the doctor and be like, okay, what do you need? How can I help? I, p- please just get rid of this thing. Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because we also didn't mention that, I think it was in the last episode, when the, the master was dealing with the machine himself, his biggest fear is the doctor laughing at him. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. There's a lot to interpret there. I'm not a therapist, the master needs therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as bad as the rising tide of communism, but it's still pretty unhinged. The, yeah, the master's biggest fear is the doctor looking down on him, laughing at him. So does that mean that the Keller machine was then like creating another doctor that laughs at the master and... That's what's going to cause heart. Again, what the fuck does this thing do? <laughs> I'm just saying, Mac, if this does not turn into a friends to lovers arc, I'm going to be very disappointed. You mean enemies to lovers? Enemies to lovers, yes. Not friends to lovers. Enemies to lovers. Really depends on how you look at it. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of Doctor and Master moments that are subtext. And then there are other Doctor and Master moments that you're just... You're, you're, why are they not currently making out? Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's not a ship. I've said this before. I think I said it in the last episode. It's not a ship I agree with, but it's a ship I understand. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, the doctor, uh, goes back to like, try and, uh, paralyze the killer machine. And he, he's no longer, you know on fire when he's around the killer machine but he's like shown visions of a whole bunch of different enemies that he's fought and also the dalek constantly going exterminate exterminate over all of it it has just like phantoms of various enemies he's fought i looked it up he sees a vision of a cyberman a war machine a zarby a sensorite coquillian an ice warrior, a Silurian, and a Dalek. What a weird mishmash of enemies for them to pull. The staple of enemies. I mean, everyone remembers the Zarbi. Everyone remembers Coquillian in that two-part episode in which Coquillian was actually just a dude. 
<laughs> you know his most hated enemy, the Censorites, which again was just one guy. <laughs> one guy and a bunch of nerds. <laughs> it was weird. Weird collection. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I find that very odd because it could have been anything. There, there were a lot worse. Why the Zarbi and not like the thing they worship, the Animus? The Animus, yeah. I don't. Why not that? Why the big ant thing? Why not the uh, the Yetis that he's fought several times? Why not the fucking Crotons? Why not? I don't. I don't know. The this collection is very weird, and I don't know why. And it seems like it should be against the rules to have the war machines right next to the Daleks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of all of those like one-off ones, the war machines makes the most sense. I'm not gonna tell you no, but in what way? They were actually, I'm not going to say the war machines specifically were threatening, but like they were a robot against like that controlled by a greater intelligence and the animus and the uh, Zarbi as a big ant. <laughs> Very true. And the Censorites are big dorks. <laughs> the Censorites were like super peaceful. I don't know why. At least like if I looked at like the Cybermen, the Daleks and the war machines, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Scary robots to try to take over the world. That all makes sense to me. Yeah. Is the Doctor a Ludite? Maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Ice Warrior makes sense. Silurian was recent. That that makes sense. Really, I'm I'm most hung up on Sensorites and Coquillian, because Coquillian wasn't real. He was just a guy in a mask. He was a Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, he was a Scooby-Doo villain who, like, placed a bomb and killed, like, hundreds of people at once. But still, a Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gotten away with it, too. As you can tell, I have nothing else for this episode. Well, okay. Oh wait, no. There is well, you say your thing first. There there's there's one thing that we really need to talk about. What exactly was the brigadier's military strategy? Okay, I'm glad we were gonna bring up the same thing. <laughs> yeah, because he, he was like, Okay, we're going to get our way into this prison. We're gonna use a Trojan horse. And so he like pulls up in a delivery van in disguise and that's fine i'm i'm with you so far and then a couple of the guys get out of the van and just like hide behind the van as the van rolls in like guys i'm pretty sure they didn't get out before the horse was in troy <laughs> what the fuck are you doing <laughs> yeah i thought that too They're like they just kind of sneak in like as they walk by guards they knock them out i was like but why'd you do why'd you get out at all why'd you get out at all and because and then they like they, like, branch off and, like, go down other routes and, like, knock out other guards, which I guess I get. But then he parks in the middle of the prison and then more of his soldiers come out of the van. It's like, if you had more in the van, why did you just have them all come? Whatever. Do, do your stupid thing. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the boys at unit are special, okay? Tactical minds. You cannot comprehend. You have your stupid fucking poorly choreographed gunfight. <laughs> That takes entirely too long. It takes way too long. So yeah, and that results in not a lot happening this episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right, episode six. We spent most of this episode talking about how stupid the Zarbian sense rights are. <laughs> <laughs> episode six. It turns out it was the Brigadier who fired, and he shot Mailer. The Doctor is indignant and says the Brigadier takes too long to do anything. Unit and the Doctor capture the machine and the creature inside. 
The doctor doesn't want to destroy it because it's like a nuclear bomb or something. The doctor speaks with the master and reminds him that he still has the Time Lord's dematerialization thingy, and that won't do him any good in a ruined world. The master agrees to meet and exchange the missiles for the device. The doctor hatches a plan to destroy the master and the machine all at once. The doctor meets with the master, who instantly tries to betray him. Joe and Barnum rig the hangar to explode. After the doctor knocks out the master, Barnum, with all bad thoughts gone, checks to see if he's okay. The master kills him and, and escapes. Joe and the doctor narrowly get away by helicopter before the hangar explodes. The master calls to be smug about winning, and the doctor's pissed that he's stuck on Earth while the master gets to go have fun. The master escaped from the prison, and uh, the doctor finds out about uh, the missing Thunderbird missile, and the brigadier breaks the doctor and Joe out of prison and gives them an update. And the doctor says, well, apart from losing the master and the and the Thunderbird, you're doing very well, Brigadier. And I was like, savage. True, but savage. <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. And keep in mind, the doctor just roasted the Brigadier. So after the Brigadier shoots mail and saves him, he's like, Brigadier, he's like, I, he's like, I swear you're only capable of doing things at the exact last moment. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, doctor. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to say thank you. Just a little. <laughs> Just a little bit. It cuts to the Keller machine and it's like going going haywire. And I love that the cameraman was apparently given the direction of just go crazy. Because he's just like going, whoa, whoa, all, all around the room. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I really love the master's phone call with the doctor. And it's the second episode in the row where the doctor's been like, well, what are you going to do after that? <laughs> Again, I don't know. I didn't expect I was going to get this far. Because <laughs> <laughs> the master's like, yes, I will I will uh, send the world into endless war. And then in the ruins, I will take over. The doctor didn't point out the obvious of why the fuck would you want to ruin a destroyed world. But while your dematerialization thing will probably get blown up in that. And then what are you going to do? Stick on Earth? It sucks here. <laughs> Trust me, I've been here for months. It fucking blows. I personally choose to believe that the the doctor has only been there for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would buy that. Production wise, it has been over a year. But <laughs> <laughs> but listen, we we haven't seen the doctor sleep that much. I think collectively between the episodes, it's only been like five or six days. <laughs> And uh, the doctor is lamenting how he can't destroy the Keller machine. He says it would take an atomic explosion or an incredible amount of electricity to destroy that. And I was like, like, say, for example, a Thunderbird missile. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor basically says, hey, give us the missiles and we'll give you the dematerialization thingy and you can just kind of fuck off. And then I'm assuming he basically had the plan of, okay, I'm going to betray him and blow him up and the machine. See, I thought he was going to do the thing of, like, giving the master his, like, like, giving the master the doctor's dematerialization circuit. You know, the one that doesn't work. You know, the thing that makes sense. You know, the, the thing that makes sense. But then we, at one point, we do determine that Barnum's proximity to the Keller machine it just kind of like calms it down. And so like he can't leave it. So they're like, okay, so we're basically going to start. We're just going to use the Keller machine as like a grenade and just Barnum's just going to hold it 
on the car ride over there. <laughs> and then we're going to send it to the hangar, and it's going to blow up, and it's going to blow up the missile, and it's going to kill everyone. It's going to be great. And it'll kill everyone within a 10-mile radius. It's a win-win! <laughs> <laughs> it's called compromise. The master gets to blow a little something up. The machine goes away. Everybody wins. And then, of course, the plan goes absolutely tits up, and Barnum is like, hey, this guy's hurt. I'm going to help him. And then Master is like, ha you fool, and kills him. I'll run you over with my car. I was honestly kind of sad because, like, I, we, we didn't really mention him a whole lot in this story. I liked Barnum. Like, he was he was very, like, simple because of the machine, and he was just he just had, like, this childlike innocence to him, and I, I enjoyed him. I liked his, like, almost mother-child relationship he had with Joe, despite the fact that he was clearly older than her. I liked Barnum, so I was kind of, like, almost sad when the Master actually killed him. <laughs> I, uh, I spoiled some of the trivia for myself, because I saw that, is it Larry Betts, the producer's name? Barry Letts. Barry Letts. Was not happy with this director for going over budget. Yes. And so effectively fired him from the rest of the show. Yes. He went over budget by, like, getting a real helicopter rented when they were already so low budget. And he was just like, well, you're fucking fired. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember thinking that in this episode, I was like, hmm, that's a real helicopter. And then I watched that explosion. And I was like, didn't Mac just say the show had budget cuts? This feels big budget. <laughs> I guess nobody told uh, Timothy Combe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and then the master just like calls to rub it in yeah calls to rub it in and again apparently the real dematerialization circuit was handed over sure why not seems like an obvious oversight and then the doctor seems more less upset that the master's getting away or the master effectively got off scot-free and it's really just more mad that the master gets to leave and he doesn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> But that's basically all I got. Yeah, that's basically all I got, too. Uh, trivia. Stuff that we haven't touched on. This was Katie Manning's favorite episode. Sure. Is that who plays Joe? Yeah, Joe. Okay. Which is weird because, I mean, she did get to uh, cap a dude, which was nice. But for the most part, she kind of was in and out of a prison cell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Story-wise, she didn't really do a whole lot. In the original script... Uh, Joe was going to be subjected to the Keller machine and her greatest fear was going to be revealed to be bats. And that's something she and I have in common. We can hang out because I also fucking hate bats. It's also my biggest <laughs> fear. So the actress who played uh, Captain Shin Lee, Pixen Lin, she coached John Pertwee on how to speak Chinese. Nice. So that he could, you know, actually, actually speak actual Chinese. Uh, when he's in the when he's in the scene, and um, he had a lot of trouble with it at first, um, so a lot of the lines had to be rewritten a bit so that they would be simpler, so that he, he would have a we we don't have all day. Come on, <laughs> basic phrases, <laughs> basic phrases, and uh, yeah, everything else was touched on in the, the episode. So, final thoughts. I like it more than Inferno. I think I like it more than the Silurians. It's not good, but it is kind of schlocky and dumb and fun. The evil machine doesn't make total sense, but eh, I don't know. It felt fun. That, I mean, that's good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I'm keeping it where it is in my ranking. Like so many episodes before it, 
it had a really cool idea having a machine that can manifest your deepest fears and feed on the evil of a person's mind really cool idea it just feels like it didn't fully do much with that and again not to put too fine a point on it what the fuck does the kessler machine actually do is a question (laughs) that i ask myself a lot also kind of weird how the peace conference was just kind of dropped and focused entirely on the master in the prison maybe it didn't happen as much as i remember it but it really did feel like a lot of characters getting thrown into a cell then either escaping or being taken out and then being thrown back into a cell and back and forth back and forth and that's what that's what a lot of the episode felt like to me i definitely agree i really think it could have been four or five episodes uh probably four because like there was a lot back and forth and like a lot of threads didn't get fleshed out so they could have just been dropped entirely so yeah it's not as bad it, it, it had some good ideas and i'll give it credit for that i'm keeping it where it is as my second least favorite i can't imagine unless just all of the third doctor is just banger after banger i can't imagine it'll actually like end up in my bottom five or anything we'll see I guess we'll just have to find out next time on A Quick Trip Through Space and Time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us, the best thing you can do is give us five stars and tell your friends about us. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, all the major podcast things. If you want to follow us, we're not on Twitter anymore, but we are on Instagram, and you can follow us at QuickTripDW. You can also check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Meh, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on A Quick Trip Through Space and Time, in which we finally see the inside of the Doctor's TARDIS for the first time since the War Games in The Claws of Axos. (laughs) 